Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't miss your free chance to tune into Benzinga's very own bootcamp series on November 20th. If you're looking to dive into new concepts and grow your account, this one's for you. GM Zingers, my name is Logan Ross, and I'd like to welcome you to Flight 61 aboard the Moon or Bust rocket ship, your home for all things altcoins and DeFi. We've got a great show coming up for you today. Let's get right into it. Joining me today is number one Dex trader, Pirate Ryan McNamara. Here, let me put my costume on as well. Hi, how you doing, Ryan? Arg, I'm doing well, Logan. How are you? Happy <laughs> Halloween. Happy Halloween to everyone out there. Uh, let us know what your costume is going to be. Drop it in the chat below, uh, and, and we will highlight our favorites. So, Ryan, what are we doing on today's show? Oh, we got a lot coming up. We'll be interviewing Pastel Network. It's a network for NFTs. It's launching soon. Super cool stuff. And we'll also be looking at everybody's favorite dog coins. We'll go over some Shiba Inu. We'll be going over some Floki Inu, as well as some of the smaller ones that might be on the come up. So stay tuned for that. Very, very cool. So before we get started, okay, I got to take this out. I can't, I can't even talk. Before we get started, costume. I... Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I need everyone out there in the chat who's watching right now to go down into the comments section and let us know the crypto projects, maybe even specifically the dog coins you are looking at this week. What are you trading? Let us know so we could take a look at it. Uh, and then while you're down there, make sure to smash the like button so uh, everyone else can find this content easier. We could grow the moon or bust family. Uh, and also, if you're here for crypto content, there is the Benzinga Crypto YouTube channel. We're starting some exciting new shows uh, over there, hopefully next week. So subscribe if you're not already. Uh, and also, if you're new, we appreciate you tuning in. Welcome to the fam. Uh, subscribe to the main channel if you're not. And you can join the Moon or Bust community on Telegram for a 25% off discount code on the Moon or Bust swag. As always, make sure to connect with us on Twitter right there. We're doing a uh, giveaway of $50 uh, NFT conference put on by CoinGecko. Uh, we're giving away and $50 tickets. And uh, both of us. Oh, yeah. No, good point. We yeah. are going to be hosting panels there. Uh, at, at CoinGeckoCon. So make sure you guys go check that out on, on Benzinga's Twitter as well. Retweet and follow us both for a chance to win. Uh, okay, what's Ryan, your panel so, going to be on at that conference, Logan? I forgot. Uh, I'm doing like the NFT music industry panel. Okay, sweet. I'm doing the metaverse cool. panel. I'm really excited for it. I'm doing Animoca Brands, and this guy is absolutely insane. He sold a cloud computing company to IBM in 1998. Then he played the Apple App Store in like 2010, had like 15 different apps in the top 100, and Apple wow. actually deplatformed him. So after he got deplatformed, he went really hard on blockchain-based games. He funded huh. private rounds from Axie Infinity, Decentraland, and OpenSea. So I'm so excited for that. It's going to be so cool. 
quite the sales pitch, Ryan. You got lucky on that interview. I, I'm actually not too sure uh, about my guests yet, but I will update you guys. So make sure you guys go check out Ryan's Metaverse panel. That's pretty dope. And then maybe, I don't think Chris signed up, so maybe we could get the Akon panel too. Yeah, that'd be cool. Just a little something, something. Okay, let me share my screen uh, and we can take a look at the markets. So as always, we're starting with uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then we'll go over and look at the dog coins. What do you think? Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. I don't even know if we have to do Bitcoin today. Uh, let's just start off with our new all-time high, Sweet Baby ETH. Uh, here we have the one-minute candles, uh, and you can see here just a couple hours ago, we hit this new all-time high at $4,470. Drop a comment in the chat if you're an ETH bag holder. Uh, let us know what's up. We've been following ETH for way too long. So if you guys have been watching, hopefully you got in early. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. I have to, to get some new tabs open. Let's pull up CoinMarketCap. Uh, and maybe we could zoom out on ETH. Yeah. One hour. As much as I let's love one-minute candles, I think candles. that one-hour and daily candles probably tell a better story. Especially okay, with so that beautiful triangle you drew. He, here's your story, Ryan. Why don't you tell us? I mean, you drew that triangle, but I mean, I can I can do my best. So it looked like we went up. We had a, a previous resistance there, maybe right around $4,000, which seemed like a psychological resistance, which mm -hmm. we were able to break through. I think this, uh, this was a pretty good triangle, Logan, because we did break up above it and it looks like we did hold it. So congrats Thank to you, you for those Thank lines you. in the sand. It, it looks <laughs> like it did work out so far. We'll see if we can hold it. I mean, I think the markets are really bullish right now. I think there's a lot of new attention in crypto because of all these dog coins. So I think that we're probably going to hold above it. And I think, you know, it's interesting because usually Bitcoin leads the way with Ethereum and it did to a degree, you know, Bitcoin hit a new all time high. But we really see the mania with these dog coins right now, which usually comes later on in the cycle once, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum really rip. So. We'll see what happens, but I think it's a bullish signal because a lot of these people buying the dog coins are new to crypto. Mm -hmm. Drop your args in the chat if Arr. you guys uh, are looking at the dog coins this week. And while you're down there, if you're just tuning in, make sure to hit the like button. Do us a solid little What about Halloween. Pirate Coin? How's Pirate, pirate coin. coin doing? Let's find out. What is Pirate Coin, Ryan? Oh, it's a revolutionary new cryptocurrency. <laughs> Um, that I just started and it's on coin market cap actually and it has actually decently large market capitalization. I bro, forgot exactly you, how you much. You did not but... start this, bro. Quick Yeah, happen. Pirate Coin. Arg. I'm the CEO of Pirate Coin. Can't you tell? <laughs> what is this shit, bro? Pirate so coin. fully diluted market cap of $37 million. I mean, not bad for a day's work. All I really had to do was put on an eye patch, a hat, and get to coding. Uh, you know, it's on Binance Smart Chain, my favorite blockchain to make tokens on. <laughs> And the slippage is only 7.9% or 7 to 9%. I, I can't read well with the eye patch on. Oh, my God. Ryan, this is a pretty nice website that you threw together this morning. Thanks. I actually hired someone off Fiverr to do it. Oh, yeah. Good good idea. Got to outsource everything. Exactly. Uh, and full disclosure, this is a joke. Ryan did not actually make this <laughs> coin. <laughs> or did it he? It looks like I made it. Dun, dun, if Craig dun. Wright is the CEO of Bitcoin, I am the CEO of Pirate Coin. There is no debate. <laughs> Can you tell the CEO of Bitcoin to send the price up? Yeah, let me just message right. Craig. Okay, let's see what happens if we type Enu into... Wait, what? 
Come on, I want all the Inus. Hachiko Inu. I have not heard of that one yet. Yeah, no, that's that's the new wave, bro. It's the Shiba Floki Safe Moon Killer. Okay, so on a real note, let's actually take a look at, at our favorite dog coins here. So what should we start with? Doge. Yo, Shiba, you can sort Floki. by meme coins now on Coin Market Cap. Can't Does you? it have all the good ones? I saw a filter. It doesn't it have should. Bitcoin on it. Damn. I don't even know how to do it, actually. I just uh, saw that you could. Watch list, portfolio. I would think it would be down by cryptocurrencies where categories DeFi's NFT is. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Maybe there's another filter you can use. Ah, oh, frick, man. What the heck? How do I coin market cap? Filters. Come on, baby. All right, this might be a lost cause. Yeah, I think we should just use Trading View for it. I think Trading View should have at least Shiba Inu and Floki at this point. If not, we could maybe try and use KuCoin or something else. Popular categories. Dog on, dog or L. I don't even know what this means. Is this all the dog coins? Oh, we got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. All right. Here are all of the dog coins in the top dog position we have shiba inu right now ripped past doge uh and i'm curious to hear what you guys out there think about the flip inning okay this was a meme that was going on all year long shiba's gonna flip doge is the dogecoin killer personally i didn't think it would actually happen but i was wrong and i'm here to admit that today so drop a comment in the chat what do you think this means uh you know for the ecosystem as a whole you have any big picture ideas, Ryan? What do you think about the flippening? I think it's ridiculous. I, I did not see this coming whatsoever, man. I was dumbfounded when I saw it. I knew it was going up fast. I saw it past Chainlink and it was like the 15th largest cryptocurrency. And I, I wasn't sure how much higher it could go from there. It already had over a $10 billion market cap and it happened. I mean, I thought Doge would probably be going up with Shiba when this all took off, but it's really lacked behind. It's down 10% today, only up 21% on the week. Uh, so, I mean, I'm very surprised Shiba did that, but congratulations to all you Shiba Inu holders out there. You did it. You flipped Doge. Now all that's left is to flip Bitcoin. And then <laughs> after that, you can reach one cent. Oh, man. Do you think that this suggests that ETH could flip Bitcoin? I don't know if it suggests that. Am I reaching that. there? It, it might be it might be a reach, but I still think that Ethereum could flip Bitcoin this market cycle. I've said it before. I'm not sure if it's more likely than not. I think it's probably less likely than not, but I think it's still a possibility Ethereum could flip Bitcoin this market cycle. But yeah, I don't know with all these dog coins if that's really telling of like an incumbent being able to be flipped by a new entrant into the market, but it's certainly possible. We saw it with Shiba Inu. Let's see it with Ethereum. That would be the day we'd have to throw a moon or bus party live in Detroit when Ethereum flips Bitcoin. And everyone out there is invited as long as you smash the like button. Uh, okay, so why is Floki Inus down here so far? I thought Floki would be bigger. I did too. I mean, that's kind of kind of interesting. It's a $2 billion market cap. How? There's no way that that's not yeah like see it's bigger. not yeah coin market cap ranks their coins kind it's, of oddly because, maybe just because it's self-reported or something yeah that would be a good guess i think 
What the heck, man? What happened to my dog coin filter? Floki Ini has been going crazy, though. It's up 43% today over the week. It's like 200%. So, again, congratulations to my Floki Inu holders out there. Uh, we did a show on them a few weeks back. I said I wasn't going to be investing in. I guess I missed out. But, hey, I mean, it is what it yeah, is. You really floked up, bro. <laughs> Good one, Logan. Thanks, man. You can see here that uh, the reason it's so far down on coin market caps list is because it has that self-reported market cap. So it's actually worth two billion dollars, which places it in the third biggest dog coin spot, right above Dogelon Mars. Uh, I haven't heard of this Samoyed Samoyed coin or Safe Moon Inu. We need to get. We need to write some articles on these. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Yeah, 20%. that Dojal on Mars, man. That's been getting so much attention lately. Really out of nowhere. I guess it is just due to Shiba Inu, but it is up like crazy as well. We see 70% in one day. Warren Buffett could never. And 185% over the past week. So absolutely ridiculous returns right now. Dog coin mania for sure. How long do you think this is going to last, Logan? I think we're pretty close to the top at this point. You know, I think that that Shiba is probably close to the top. I think it's probably Dogecoin's turn now. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's co- an interesting thing because like maybe Shiba has more room for money to flow into it because it's based on Ethereum, whereas Dogecoin's like its own blockchain. So it's like a single use case. But fl- but Shiba uh, could continue to you know get that other money from ETH. And uh, dude, it, it, imagine imagine if OpenSea adds shiba uh to purchase nfts that would be ridiculous but i i think that's extremely unlikely um i mean we, they only have, we what, not have ethereum that. wrapped ethereum and polygon is on OpenSea right now and polygon makes sense because they use polygon for their layer two solution and then of course mm-hmm. ethereum is used to buy nfts everywhere well, there's also die and usdc oh yeah that's um, true and and like if coinbase accepted all cryptos for for nfts then you know i i think that it would probably just push everyone else to do it you know like only one person Mm -hmm. has to do it and and i don't see why not like it seems like a fine idea to me so sarah russell out there in the chat says uh where can you buy floki Uh, so i dropped a link to our money site article how to buy floki inu go check it out there uh and also we got a promo going on with uh five five dollars in free ship if you sign up with weeble yeah should have signed up last week it would be like twenty dollars in free ship now don't miss out don't sleep go check it out okay so any other dog coins you guys are looking at in the chat uh or ryan do you want to take a look at yeah can we take a look on trading view and look at maybe shiba inu at least and then if anyone else wants to see other dog coins that are on trading view we could look at those as well shiba Probably Uniswap would be your best bet. Well, that works too. Now, for something like this, we should probably not use daily candles. Not the hourly candles. That looks good. That's crazy. Literally, this is one week. Look at this volume. Oh, my God. Oh, and it looks like, okay, I'm going to draw some more fake lines here. But look what we see. Look what we see. We see this, this triangle forming here. Okay, 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 okay something like that right and it's broken out of it it's broken up actually 
Is that bullish? Yeah, I mean, I would say it broke out even sooner if you connect the previous local tops, then it's an even steeper line. And then we are broken out. Like if, if you go even further to the left, log into those other local tops. But either way, um, now we are seeing higher lows and higher highs, which is typically a bullish signal. Again, these are only the hourly candles, so it's kind of hard to trade based on them. I know a lot of people do anyway, uh, but we could see another leg up. It's it's pretty hard to tell at this point. I mean, so many people have mm-hmm. made 100% or more on their investment. I'm sure a lot of people are trying to take some profits mm-hmm. at this point. But at the same time, everybody's talking about it, right? And now it's available mm-hmm. on eToro. It's available on Webull and Coinbase. So many new investors have access to Shiba Inu that didn't have access during the first pump back in May. Mm-hmm. I just had an idea and then now it's gone. What? A, what? Oh, man. Just like that. Um. What about uh, the? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about that guy who made possibly the greatest trade of all time? Eight thousand dollars invested in Shiba Inu last year is now five billion dollars. But the thing is, this wallet address has not taken a single bit of profits yet, and only a crazy person would sit through five billion dollars of gains without taking any profits okay so you could buy the most expensive yacht in the world and still have billions left over so i think that the the private key is lost this wallet is lost what do you think i agree yeah i mean there's almost no way right unless you have the most diamond hands out of any investor in the entire world it's really cool to see though i think it would be considered the best trade of all time throughout all of economic history eight thousand dollars to 5.6 billion dollars in about a year it's absolutely ridiculous but like you said he didn't take any profits and you have to remember like throughout this whole year he had millions of he or she had millions of dollars and then it turned into billions of dollars and then it turned into several billions of dollars so i do think he lost his private seed it is possible that they're just holding on to it though Uh, i would love to see them take profit and to confirm that they didn't actually lose their seed. But I think at this point, with so many people speculating that they did lose their private seed, they would uh, probably, you know, like sell a little bit or move something into the wallet to show that they still have access to that wallet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think more likely than not, they probably put that $8,000 into Shiba Inu, lost their seed phrase, and now there's $5.6 billion worth of Shiba Inu in a lost wallet. This reminds me of those Bitcoin miners back in the day who lost their computer or their wallet with hundreds of Bitcoin yeah. on it. Same yeah, feeling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So on that note of crazy, crazy trades, we saw a CryptoPunk sale last night that broke Twitter. I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, uh, Ryan, you want to tell us a little bit about this This CryptoPunk sale here? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it was Sobe, right, Logan? It was Sobe who bought it. I don't think was it Sobe? I'm pretty sure. I thought it, it was, was um I thought it was someone else. Loonlock also tweeted it was his, but he was memeing. I think it was Sobe. Um Sobe owns a ton of me bits, I think like 250 plus me bits, and oh. he also has a crazy collection of CryptoPunks, which I think is in the hundreds. Uh but Basically here, what people are speculating, and you can see it on chain, so this is actually what happened. Uh, 
this guy got a flash loan with crypto that he was able to buy this crypto punk from himself and then pay back the loan all within one block to make this record sale. So this isn't a legitimate sale per se. It's not money laundering, but at the same time, it is, I think, to just create some hype around crypto punks right now. The previous mm-hmm. highest sale was an alien, which makes sense because there's only nine alien crypto punks and those sold for $9 million. Now, this one, the white hair is cool. You know, Hayden Adams, founder of Uniswap, uses a crazy white hair crypto punk on his Twitter profile picture. It's a pretty rare trait, but it's not worth anywhere near $500 million, maybe close to a million, but definitely not $500 million. Uh, but they pumped the market to a degree, I think. I wasn't really paying attention to the floor, but I noticed just a few minutes after this happened, somebody put $87 million bids across the board for the alien punks. But those have since been withdrawn. So I think that the person realized, you know, this guy had a flash loan, bought the punk from it himself. It wasn't a legitimate sale and then withdrew those bids because they didn't feel comfortable spending $90 million and having the they new the like, bids. legitimate. Yeah, they withdrew them. I checked this morning. Oh, uh, so those bids are damn. not on the table anymore, which kind of makes sense, right? I, I would be willing, if I had the money, I'd be willing to pay $90 million for Alien Punk if there was a legitimate sale of a $500 million punk that wasn't right. an alien. Uh, right, but right, since right. it wasn't really legitimate, um, they, they withdrew their bids. Mm-hmm. But no one took were- them, which is interesting. They were up for a few hours. And those Alien Punk owners, I mean, they must have saw them, right? A $90 million bid on their punk. And they could have sold. They could have sold, but they did not. So, I mean, that kind of tells me you're going to mm-hmm. have to spend more than $90 million to get an alien punk these days. I mean, the people holding on to those are holding exactly. on to them with diamond hands. Exactly, exactly. So one person valued all of them at $90 million each, and, and none of them sold, which means the holders value them much higher. That's kind of crazy. Uh, so, Ryan, why don't you tell us about this little page you put together here? Yeah, so a few months ago, I made this CryptoPunks watch list on Benzingo. We try and keep it updated, but the markets move super fast. So, you know, DM us on Twitter if you see someone new who's famous get a CryptoPunk. We'll add them to this watch list. But we created this to track all these famous people who now own CryptoPunks. And usually almost all of them use them as their Twitter profile picture. So that's pretty cool to see uh, who someone else just added a CryptoPunk. into Jordan, Jordan Belfort. Yeah, we got to add yeah, Jordan. Yeah, we, we have to add him to the list. Um, but yeah, check out this page. It's really cool. And did you see that little baby now has a board hate oh, as his profile yeah, picture? That's Let's great. check that out. Did he tweet anything out about it or did he just do no, it? No, he didn't tweet anything out about it yet, which is sad. I wanted to retweet it. But we see a little baby's got the baby board ape. Yeah, nothing, nothing yet as far as an announcement from the slime himself but we do see his pfp has changed and well it may seem like like little baby is not really like uh it doesn't it doesn't seem like that big of a deal i think that little baby's influence within the rap community is actually very big and it, and it will do a lot to uh you know influence the a lot of like serious collectors potential buyers we also see you know jay-z of course has it too so uh, it, it's clearly spreading very quickly. Uh, and I think that this is actually very cool. I think that it's going to help the market grow a lot. So Logan, do you want to take a look maybe at Floki Inu or some of these other dog coins that are giving Shiba a run for its money? Yeah. I don't even good. know if they're on trading view though. 
Why don't you check? See if they're on trading view. Floki Inu. Bro, we have to set up that interview with them. We do. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be having Floki Inu, someone from the team, come on Moon or Bust uh pretty soon here. So make sure you guys are subscribed if you're not already, so you can catch that episode as well. All right, so here is Floki. These hourly candles are kind of ridiculous. It I'm hurts, to... man. It hurts. It does. It does hurt a little bit. So what is, is this, this like a max from pain? six to third? It's like a five x in the course of two three days. Zero, or no, that's zero, like it's zero, approaching six. a ten x. It's approaching a ten x. Four zeros. Yeah, it's at like five x right now, right? Yeah, I guess so. That's crazy though. Two billion dollars for the Floki meme. You think that that meme is good enough for a two billion dollar market cap? I mean, if Shiba Inu has a market cap of fifty billion dollars, the relative no valuation of Floki could be argued that it's undervalued. Yeah, exactly. Is Floki Inu undervalued? Let's let's see in the chat, guys. What do you think? Is Floki Inu undervalued? I certainly think. It's not undervalued, but, you know, we all have differing opinions. Yeah, I mean, personally, that's not the type of thing that I want to have in my portfolio necessarily. But like, hey, gains are gains at the end of the day. All right, so stacking nine millimeters in the chat says, check out Kishu Inu. Uh, and let's see how big is Kishu compared to the other ones. Maybe it's not listed. Huh. Jonathan, I see your comment in the chat. Yeah, there is pretty high charges on Floki. They do have a reflection fee, uh, which both Logan and I, we aren't very big fans of any tokens that have reflection fees. The tokenomics really mm. don't check out for long-term sustainability. So definitely right. do your research on reflection fees, what they actually are. But yes, it is very expensive. So it's 8% transaction fee for every time you buy or sell the token. So for example, if you decide you want to invest $1,000 in the Floki Inu, they will charge you $80 upon the first transaction when you buy it. So they'll give you $920 out of that thousand you invested. And then say it goes up to $1,000, then you have $1,000 and you sell it, then you'll have $920. So even if it goes up, you need to make back essentially 16% just to break even. And that money goes to the creators of the coin, as well as gets distributed to other holders of the coin for holding on to it. Yeah, exactly. And it is distributed proportional to, you know, the other holders positions. So the biggest holders will make all the money uh, promising the little guys passive income, uh, which I really am not a fan of. Personally, it just seems kind of slimy uh, and not in the little baby kind of way. Um, okay, so any other coins out here in the chat? Jonathan says, anyone tempted to FOMO in? What do you think? I've had a few friends who have FOMO'd in over the past couple of days. I certainly haven't. I mean, if I were to be buying these coins, I think it would be during a bear market and it would be with 100 or $200 to speculate that maybe they'll moon again during the next bull market. Damn, Raz was the actually, turns out, the one who made that $5 billion trade. But someone <laughs> broke his laptop, so now it's gone. That sucks. Pour one out. Pour one out for the old Raz. 
Floki is going to one cent. Let's see if that makes any sense. Okay, yeah, let's see what the implications are of Shiba Inu going to a penny. We actually just no, pushed out no, an Floki, article. Floki. Oh, Floki, not Shiba. Okay. Yeah, okay. Maybe so we Floki... need to maybe we have to do analysis on this for a money article like we do with Shiba. Okay, so it needs a 3x to get to uh, a tenth of a cent, and then we need to 10x from there. So it's like a 30x. So its market cap would go from two billion to sixty billion dollars, uh, putting it well above Shiba Inu. And let's see where it would land on the list of actual. I mean, uh, not so much fun memes, less fun me, not dog coins. Oh man, words so are right tough around today. Solana. Then it would yeah. rank sixth as the largest cryptocurrency by market cap. So yeah, you never know what happens. Shiba flipped Doge, and now it's the eighth largest cryptocurrency. In one cent, it's pretty ridiculous gains, but it's not 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 impossible, I guess. It's it's extremely unlikely, though. I would not yeah. be taking that home to the bank that Floki's going to one cent. I mean, yeah. I think we're already no. pretty close to the top for these dog coins. Yeah, definitely don't schedule your Forbes interview yet. Uh, I think that this the attention is going to move over into Bitcoin and more specifically Ethereum over the next couple of months here. So uh, I am personally taking profits on my dog coins and moving them into eth um i just think the risk is too high at this point um but it's always fun to speculate you know with just like some some small amounts uh that you're totally fine with with losing kw5g i see you said that they lowered their fees on uniswap to three percent that's pretty interesting i'd be interested to know whether or not they did this for pancake swap as well Maybe they didn't because Ethereum charges such high gas fees in the first place that you're already out so much on your investments. And on Binance Smart Chain, you're only paying pennies. So they think mm -hmm. they can justify still charging that 8%. Yeah, I wonder what they took out, uh, whether it was the marketing fee or if it was like the uh, redistribution fee. Maybe it's just 50-50, 1 uh, 1.5% to each of them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to do a little bit of NFTs? Do you have any you want to look at? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Mechaverse NFT is now down to under one ETH, and we saw them up to like seven or eight ETH just a few weeks ago, which is really interesting to see. Um, I kind of understand. I mean, they minted at 0.2 ETH and then immediately resold for five ETH. And then they had this whole debacle with their developers being able to see the metadata of the NFTs before they were actually revealed. So they were able mm -hmm. to actually rig it, kind of get some of the rare NFTs. Uh, yep. So yeah, yeah, and and it's such a new NFT too, where there was so much hype behind it, and then it was instantly worth like twenty five thousand dollars. That there was probably a correction waiting to happen, and then we did see that, especially okay, with so all these other cryptos ripping. Right, Danny makes a good point in the chat. The normies are just getting in. Uh, yeah, they are definitely just getting in the dog coins, the NFTs that's bringing them in uh, to the space. And then likely they'll kind of 
figure it out uh and then you know switch over to to bitcoin or ethereum or something like that um maybe even solana we'll have to see uh but yeah so ryan we see the pudgy penguins floor ha has fallen down uh to finally below where i sold so i don't feel like paper hands anymore congratulations yeah, i sold at 1.7 don't forget it bought for 0.17 like, yeah that's that's a pretty good trade especially ten, just ten within a few days ETH. right yeah 10 x my eth in 11 days oh check it check it out did i ever show you this one i picked up ski mask the slump god die ETH. somehow yeah. it was it was available <laughs> that's pretty cool you know pick up meta.eth oh my god whoever has meta.eth they better not sell it they can get so much from zuck what's your take on that whole thing with facebook now being a metaverse company oh, that's a great question um i think it's bullish for the space in general uh i i kind of feel like facebook's gonna try to make some like sims type game uh that's like a social media sims crossover platform um but yeah, I think it'll be bullish for NFTs in general. I mean, just people figuring out more about blockchain, becoming more interested in their online presence uh, will be good for the, the PFPs and all sorts of NFTs. Uh, but let us know what you think in the chat. What do you think about Facebook changing their name to Meta and spending dropping $10 billion uh, building a Metaverse game? Uh, you have any thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, do you think Facebook's actually going to be implementing blockchain into their metaverse? Because they really don't have to, right? Like Facebook mm -hmm. is already kind of considered a metaverse and so is Fortnite and some of these other VR games. They don't necessarily need to use mm -hmm. blockchain. And I think that like the, the notion that the metaverse and blockchain is like very strongly intertwined is only mm -hmm. a, really a narrative we see within the blockchain community, which I, I think it does make sense. But I mm -hmm. think the normal person still doesn't really relate the metaverse and blockchain together. I think that that Facebook is trying to target the younger generation once again. That's what Zuck said himself. And so I think that, uh, you know, obviously they're, they'll try to keep it as centralized as possible. But if they want to attract the crypto natives, uh, the people like us, they're going to need to let us bring our board apes in. They're going to need to let us bring our NFTs over. Uh, so I, I definitely see both sides of the, of the coin here. Uh, no pun intended, but I think facebook would create their own chain if they did it and then try to have it bridged um, with other chains but we actually have an expert and i want to hear his take on it so from the pastel nft blockchain we have anthony uh welcome to moon or bust anthony how you doing today doing great how you doing doing Arm, well matey. You. nice to see you <laughs> <laughs> happy we halloween doing our, our happy halloween, halloween uh, episode today so excuse ryan's appearance um, but but anthony i'm curious to hear your take on the facebook uh metaverse yeah totally i mean look it's one of those things i don't know actually i was on a clip yesterday with nbc just talking through it um ryan you kind of made a, a good point there you know facebook's really been in this space of you know reality labs for quite some time um, so I do think it was kind of a penultimate moment that's been, you know, leading up to the space. Think about obviously some of their acquisitions, some of their internal R&D as it pertains to wearables, headsets, things like that. Um, they've been making these kind of steps for years now to get to this point in time. Um, and, you know, if you really think about it, frankly, right, the concept of a metaverse, you know, Ryan, you alluded to it, um, away from kind of crypto natives is something that I think is is kind of innate 
um, and quite native, generally speaking. Think about how much time we spend on our phones. Think about how much time we spend on Instagram, right? In these kind of, you know, quasi um, virtual realities already. So um, I think it definitely makes, you know, a ton of sense. And one other thing to say too is, you know, Facebook compared to a lot of the other big tech companies itself um, doesn't necessarily have, you know, quite the monopolistic moat um, or, you know, pure barrier to entry against, you know, its underlying core product offering, right, in the, in the form of social media suites. So it's constantly had to innovate. It's constantly had to basically, um, you know, be a little bit more dynamic. Um, it's done that historically through a number of different acquisitions, you know, whether through WhatsApp or a handful of other platforms. Um, but I think this is really kind of a natural stepping stone. Um, and it will be interesting to see. We haven't, I haven't seen anything from, um, you know, Mark or Facebook directly that's talked about how they might, you know, bridge this idea of kind of, you know, interoperability across existing blockchain suites. Um, so it'll be exciting to see how this shakes out in the next few months. Most definitely. Uh, Harsha S in the chat just gave us two bucks. Thank you. Uh, we will take a look at ICP after the interview. Um, but Anthony, uh, could you tell us a little bit about Pastel and what your mission is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Pastel started back in 2018 and, and we've really grown to be a preeminent protocol standard for the NFT space. And, you know, what, I, what do I really mean by that? Um, obviously, the way that you look at NFTs now and the general marketplace is I'd say the broader landscape is you have a number of different uh, platforms and marketplaces that are geared towards different aspects, you know, ranging from digital collectibles to gamification. Um, then you have kind of technologies around, you know, liquidity pools. Um, you have obviously fractional ownership, sharding, et cetera, and a variety of DAOs. Um, where we sit is actually kind of on the flip side of that in terms of, you know, how can we actually build some of that core infrastructure to really power the NFT you know, marketplaces and the broader NFT community forward over the next several years, right? And so we're actually completely um, fully purpose-built, dedicated layer one blockchain. Um, we've been built from the ground up um, to basically, you know, solve a lot of the innate, innate problems of the broader NFT, you know, ecosystem, high transaction fees, network congestion, you know, downtime, et cetera, but simultaneously to also be able to offer um, a series of different application specific features, um, such as our, our storage as you know, storage protocol, right? Um, there's a huge problem in the NFT space just in terms of actually how you, you know, tightly couple the data that you're acquiring with the actual smart contract standard itself. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a really interesting, you know, fully distributed, fully permanent lossless storage protocol that's built directly on top of Pastel. Um, we have another feature called um, sense, which is our new duplicate NFT detection protocol. And that assesses the level of rareness and an existing NFT relative to all other NFTs in the actual data set itself. Um, so that could be used to help protect against copyrights, scam issues, things like that. Um, and so, you know, long story short, you could think about Pastel as being, you know, really kind of this preeminent protocol standard, um, whether you're kind of a third party marketplace, another layer one blockchain, you know, whether you're, you know, you're basically a commercial enterprise, you can launch a marketplace directly on top of Pastel, any sort of NFT dApp. You can leverage our APIs, you know, via you know, lightweight integrations to basically, you know, rely on our storage, to rely on our duplicate detection. Um, we just had a couple artists on OpenSea, actually, uh, basically as part of their smart contract, they sent their NFTs directly to Pastel to be stored, to leverage our duplicate detection. And those NFTs are you know, actively trading on the Ethereum blockchain. But, you know, the proof of store lives on Pastel, if that makes sense. Very interesting. So would you say you're more business facing or retail facing? 
Um, you know what? It's it's a bit of both. Those are two very, very different go-to-market strategies. But, you know, we've been focused really on kind of that, um, you know, B2B strategy around going out and getting a lot of different, you know, partnerships and strategic integrations with the existing layer one blockchains, with the existing marketplaces and with the broader community. It's super exciting to see what's happening right now. I'd say the space is highly collaborative, uh, just talking with different groups, talking with different uh, you know, teams and foundations and whatnot, and basically kind of just powering, you know, using our technology to help propel and power certain aspects of the community is super exciting. Uh, but, you know, back to your point, there's also general network effects that, you know, come from that as well. So over time, there will be kind of more of a consumer facing strategy to, you know, our own marketplaces and our own applications. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about the, the history of the company, of the project? Um, how long have you been working on it? Have you done any fundraising so far? Yeah, I, absolutely. So just for some quick context, I'm actually a partner at a fund called Innovating Capital. Um, so we're basically a, a venture capital technology fund. Um, I help run the crypto book there. Um, and so I met uh, the CEO of Pastel, um, Jeff Emanuel, back in 2018 at a crypto conference. And basically was quickly drawn to, you know, his vision, right? He had a, a massive vision about the problems, you know, no one was even talking about it back then, right? But he was talking mm -hmm. about the innate problems, the lack of actually, you know, permanent technology, technology that was purpose-built around NFTs and basically had this kind of grand vision of building this from, you know, really the ground up. So we started to incubate it almost immediately. Um, and then over the past year or so, I've kind of stepped in on a full-time basis. I'm just helping running a lot of the day-to-day -day operations, strategy, et cetera. And so, yeah, we've been operating in Stealth um, for the last few years. Came out of Stealth earlier this year, um, launched the mainnet. We've been launching kind of a series of protocols, you know, since then. Um, and then Innovating Capital, uh, plus a handful of other, you know, kind of uh, um, smaller investors have put in, you know, close to about, you know, seven and a half million bucks so far total in terms of funding. Very really cool. cool. So... What kind of benefits do creators and buyers get from using Pastel's network over other blockchains like Ethereum and, and maybe Binance <clears throat> Smart Chain or Solana, if you could touch on one of those as well? Yeah, totally. So, you know, if you think about it right now, right, when you go on to, you know, a Solana or an Ethereum or one of these existing platforms, right? Um, have you, I mean, basically, there's a couple ways to do it. You could leverage kind of OpenSea or one of these existing marketplaces and, you know, they're back in, you know, smart contract deployment structure and things like that. But at the end of the day, you're going to run into, obviously, the idea of having to pay an exorbitant amount of high fees, right? Just in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, if you saw what happened yesterday with, you know, uh, the Shiba coin and whatnot, just kind of <laughs> the network congestion that we saw. Um, mm -hmm. You had pending transactions for hours. You know, you basically had, you know, certain transactions that were costing hundreds, if not you know, thousands of bucks just to mint a specific NFT. So for a creator or a collector who's just starting to come into the space, they're not a crypto native. They don't necessarily know how to buy, you know, Ethereum on Coinbase and then set it to their MetaMask account and then mm. change gas fees. And then, oh, I have a pending transaction, so I have to update the known say so I can basically, you know, clear it out and get this transaction to go through. It becomes super complicated, right, just from a pure tech perspective. So, you know, by leveraging Pastel, the core advantage more than anything is that we kind of abstract away a lot of those um, underlying issues because we're built specifically for NFTs, right? When you mint an NFT on on Pastel, you're not getting in line. You're not getting in a queue of of basically thousands of other applications that are focused on, you know, DeFi or um, insurance or whatever, right? You don't have to necessarily compete with somebody who wants to basically lend, you know, five hundred, you know, loan 
500 million bucks off of compound, right? In the form of ETH and this and that, right? So basically you get a more reliable, sustainable, um, and just kind of, you know, cheaper blockchain itself, right? But then you get all those specific features that I talked about. When you upload an NFT on Pastel, um, you know, our storage protocol takes that file, whatever the data is, it could be a video, it could be a meta, you know, a metaverse object, whatever it might be, takes that file, chops it up into a bunch of little blocks, copies those blocks, and then randomly distributes those blocks across every single super node on the network. So you basically, you know, it's pay once, store forever. So you get this also this permanent storage solution that's completely distributed, completely decentralized. And, you know, right now, if you buy a smart contract or, you know, an NFT on another platform like Ethereum or Solana, you go to the token URI field and you might have a hyperlink to a centralized, you know, Amazon S3 bucket, right? You might rely on some sort of IPFS pin, right? So mm-hmm. there's a number of innate problems too that just exist with persistent storage. And then you kind of get that level of assurance in terms of the pure rarity, right? If I register something on Pastel, I'm going to get assigned basically this um, authenticity score from zero to 100%. You know, we take the NFT, we leverage a handful of different um, deep learning methodologies, you know, using advanced computer vision to take that NFT and transform it into a a string of numbers for, you know, 10,000 plus digits, right? Then we compare that digit or, you know, that vector of numbers, which we call the fingerprint of the NFT itself against every single other fingerprint on the system on collaborative platforms like OpenSea and basically on just kind of the open web itself. <clears throat> and then we assign basically a very clear score from zero to hundred percent that, you know, basically defines how rare something is. So if you're a creator, you have kind of the assurity that, Hey, I, I know I'm going to get basically, you know, almost awarded or basically, you know, um, signaled that, Hey, this is super rare. I created this. Right. And as, mm-hmm. a, as a collector, I might be willing to pay more or pay a premium for something that I know is super rare versus mm-hmm. something that's just, you know, a rip off of, an existing punk or something like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's totally. a super and cool feature. Logan, I have a quick follow-up question for that before you ask your next question. But uh-huh. do you think, Anthony, there is a way for people who create NFTs to almost play that rarity score, like create something that looks nothing like anything else just to have a high rarity score? Because there are a lot of projects that look similar. But, I mean, could you speak to that maybe a little bit? Hey, Ryan, sorry, man, I cut out there for a second. You want to repeat the question? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So I'm just wondering, for the people who create NFTs and they see this rarity score, would it be possible for them to essentially make something with the goal of having a high rarity score? Like that looks nothing like anything else just to be able to get that high rarity score to hopefully get more value out of buyers. A hundred percent. I definitely think so, right? I mean, I think if you're a creator, I think generally speaking, not always the objective, but I think a big objective of certain creators is to build something that is, you know, highly rare, that's super rare, that has never been seen before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it is kind of an altercation, you know, or an alteration of something else, you know, they might still get a, a higher rareness score, right? Because it is, you know, completely altered and whatnot. So, but I definitely think that, you know, many creators um, are are willing to, you know, basically you know, take the time to actually create something super rare. And on the, on the flip side, I think collectors are potentially, you know, willing to spend more um, and to pay more if there is this kind of level of rareness associated with the underlying NFT. Interesting. Anthony, so is this time-based? So say uh, as more people create punk copies, the rarity score of the punks, the original punks won't go down, will it? Exactly, exactly. And it's actually also just what's important to understand too is, is it's on the collection level, right? So if you have... Hmm. 10,000 CryptoPunks, right? Mm-hmm. 
the way it generally works is, you know, we do the whole fingerprint vector thing um, and we put that fingerprint into the data set and then the next one gets compared to the entire data set. So it is time-based based off the sequence of blocks, but one collection, you know, you're not gonna compare one punk versus the other, right? Um, the series of, of the original X amount of punks are all gonna be basically ranked a similar level of rareness, right? Just relative mm -hmm. to that punk versus um, any sort of data that existed at that point in time. Very cool, Anthony. That's so you mentioned question. that the uh, the data storage and the blockchain is completely <laughs> decentralized and distributed. Uh, could you talk to the level of that? Maybe how many nodes you have, or if you use other products to decentralize your data storage? Yeah, I mean, look. So right now, the way that it works is you have general nodes that are running on the network um, that basically, obviously, run copies of um, the ledger themselves and whatnot. There's about you know two thousand plus nodes around the world. Um, I think actually probably more right now, but then you basically have the super nodes, which are doing all the same thing, but then also providing for a lot of this extra functionality, right? So you mm -hmm. stake 5 million PSL, you run a super node, you're in a kind of a high powered client that has, you know, both a specific amount of compute and storage capabilities. And there's a hundred plus super nodes running around the world um, right now, you know, between the US, Asia, um, Europe, et cetera. That's really so, impressive. You know, again, the whole... The whole idea is to always be, you know, if if any blockchain besides Bitcoin or Ethereum tells you they're fully decentralized today, um, I would definitely <laughs> yeah. kind of you know shy away from that. But the general idea is, hey, are we putting every single piece in place that pushes us on this path of of sufficient decentralization, right? And as everything equipped right now, right? You know, mm -hmm. hey Logan, you decide you want to basically go acquire five million PSL and run a supernode. You can, mm -hmm. nothing's stopping you. You could go do that tomorrow, right? Um, and so. You know, and there's also a lot of other kind of core functionalities too, consistent storage challenges, right? Where basically random supernodes are, you know, looking at random supernodes and kind of almost inspecting what they're doing. Hey, is this supernode doing what it's supposed to be doing, or is it acting, you know, maliciously on the network? Mm -hmm. And if it is, we basically have this like reputation scoring that you know tracks. If you get you know X amount of times where you're doing something maliciously, you're kicked off the network or your IP is banned. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of having these, you know, fully decentralized functions are really important just in terms of, you know, getting on that path of, you know, pure sufficient decentralization. That's a great answer. And we do have a question in the chat from Jonathan. He's asking, so could there be a sacrifice on the art standard for the rareness score? That was kind of what I was getting at mm -hmm. earlier. I guess art's really subjective. So I, I would say maybe the market would just decide that itself. Uh, Anthony, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's one of those things where you could use this tool. So certain companies are using this for certain, you know, different things, right? So, for example, if you're concerned that someone's just completely copying your punk, right? And you know that if someone completely rips it off, it's going to have, you know, kind of a, a score of 1%, right? Well, I want to monitor anything that's less than 5% and flag it and basically maybe expect, inspect it a little bit more. You know, how similar is this to something else? And so I can actually go and look and say, hey, you know what? Here's the output of the code. <clears throat> it's telling me that it's you know almost identical to this. I go look at that file, etc. So it, you can leverage it in different ways to be more of kind of like an audit function, where I'm not necessarily just looking at something for the sake of you know paying more for you know something that's 95% rare, right? You could also, on the flip side, have you know, a relatively you know kind of reasonable threshold. Anything that's greater than 75% is going to get this you know super rare you know certification, right? But I, I totally get it, right? Art is very subjective. This is just more of an additional tool or functionality that can be leveraged um, in a variety of different ways. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
Interesting. Oh, there he goes. Can you hear us? Yeah. Can you hear okay, me? awesome. Yep, sounds good. So, Anthony, can you tell us a little about the PSL token? Yeah, absolutely. So the PSL token is really kind of, you know, the, the oil that runs the entire network, right? Whether that's minting an NFT, whether that's trading an NFT, whether that's basically paying to use, you know, Cascade to basically store your, your um, NFT, sense to basically run your new duplicate detection service on the NFT itself, right? <clears throat> so PSL is really kind of that oil that is needed for every single aspect of the system. Um, so anytime a transaction occurs, there's really a couple of things that take place. You know, one part of that transaction fee is actually distributed to the supernode operators on the network. And then two, um, part of that transaction fee is burnt. It's sent to a approvable burn address. It's taken out of supply. So you have both a kind of, you know, dividend yield component of terms of, you know, distributing PSL to the supernode operators on the network in exchange for the services they're providing. And then you kind of have this, you know, kind of quasi share buyback model by taking, um, you know, the PSL out of supply, right? And that's kind of a deflationary mechanic, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So is that mechanic used for all transfers of the token or is it only for sales of NFTs, kind of like how OpenSea has that 2.5 or is it 5% royalty fee on, on their NFTs? Right, right, right. So a couple of things there, right? So on OpenSea, if I you know buy an NFT and I, and I sell it, et cetera, OpenSea is going to take a clip, right? This is what I'm saying is something a little bit different um, in terms of, you know, you, an artist could still say, hey, I want to collect the 10% royalty on the NFT anytime it retrades. But if you think back to how I mentioned we're structured, where we have a series of different APIs, right? OpenSea could decide they want to send all their NFTs to Pastel for storage. They're going to pay basically in the form of PSL anytime they want to mint an NFT to call that specific protocol, right? And so that PSL, <clears throat> part of that sent to the supernode operators who are doing that functionality, and then part of it's burnt, um, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, that's really cool. That's a, yeah. that's a great solution. Um, and why did you choose to fork from Zcash and remain as a proof-of-work blockchain with so many like new newer blockchains being proof-of-stake? I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the, the the pure consensus mechanism starting off as kind of a fork of Zcash. At the end of the day, right, the it, what's the most secure rock solid foundation in the space, right? Bitcoin, you know, we know that from day one. Zcash being effectively a fork of Bitcoin, but leveraging Equihash, which we thought was a little bit more secure, um, as well as, you know, zero knowledge proofs. Um, we thought that it was actually the best candidate in terms of how to actually start the initial core blockchain itself. But what's important is this kind of layer of super nodes that sit on top that, you know, actually do a lot of the services, the validation, the registration, the activation, all that stuff, you know, the storage, right? Um, that actually then, you know, have almost kind of a somewhat interesting state component associated with them gives us this interesting kind of split uh, model, if that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, from our standpoint, you know, it's super exciting to see what's happening with a lot of the proof of stake um, blockchains out there. I think that they're better suited um, for maybe networks that require super high TPS or kind of you know network velocity. I'm not going to lie to you and say, hey, we're trying to be the fastest blockchain that exists because we're not, right? Nor do we need to be. That's not necessarily right. you know, the use case mm -hmm. of NFT transactions, right? You know, do you care if it's going to take you 0.01 second or one second per se? I know probably not, right? You know, if you're paying less, if you're getting all this core functionality associated with it, but it also doesn't have to be because we're not necessarily dealing with, you know, high velocity, high volume financial transactions. And so for us, we could basically 
offset some of the, you know, maybe latency associated with proof of work, but get that reliability, get that security and get that kind of rock solid core foundation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You have some really good points there. And also like Ethereum wants to do a million different things all across the world, right? So they yeah. really do need to focus on scalability. They need to actually have, you know, 10,000 mm -hmm. transactions per second in the future, hopefully with ETH2. Whereas you guys, you know, need a certain amount of scalability, but it certainly doesn't have to be to that degree where proof of stake is necessary. 100%, 100%. Definitely so my, my next question, Anthony, is actually about the decentralized apps on Pastel's network. Could you explain, are these smart contract apps? Are these marketplaces that they make through your, your user interface on your website? How does that work? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So they're, they're kind of, they mirror the idea of kind of smart contracts. So instead of using basically a smart contract standard, we've built our own kind of smart ticket standard. These are super agile, flexible tickets. So a ticket for... You know, create NFT, a ticket for, you know, create collection, right? This and that and whatnot. And we have found this ticket system to, you know, basically be better suited for um, the way our blockchain is actually built. Um, so we actually, you know, there's something in, in Bitcoin transactions called UTXOs, right? The, unsp the unspent transaction outputs, right? We can actually leverage something called pay to fake multi-sig to actually send data via the UTXO model, right? Uh, and, you know, by leveraging pay-to-fake multi-sig and kind of our, you know, agile ticket structure, we've created this very interesting, unique approach um, to basically enabling platforms to just launch applications and launch kind of marketplaces directly on top of us. Um, and so that's at the core blockchain level, right? But, you know, what's really interesting is the, the actual, you know, protocols, the APIs, et cetera, that interact via, you know, RPC directly with the underlying blockchain. So, you know, by plugging in a handful of our APIs, you could launch anything on top of Fastel. And it's going to do all that stuff for you in the back end. Um, it's as easy as basically, hey, you know, send an NFT here, right? And, you know, have it do all this stuff and then send me back the result. Hmm. Very cool. A Anthony, uh, someone out there in the chat is trying to follow you on Twitter. They say uh, that it's not working. Uh, if you want oh, to you know, what? know what your Twitter is. I put in my, uh, let's see, yeah, I, I just updated that. All right, my, uh, my Telegram handle. Sweet. And we do have another question in the chat saying, you know, speed matters if you're in a competitive NFT mint. Is there something else uh, that your network has to really, you know, do something like that with ETH, you know, how you can bid uh, for your place? Uh, yeah, I guess if you could speak to that a little bit. In a competitive NFT mint, as it pertains to like... Like gas wars, right? Like, like if you're trying oh. to mint something... Uh, really fast when, right when it drops and then there's competitive pricing there. Right, right. No, so some of that stuff, right, it's the speed itself is something that, you know, you can basically be performing all these functions intra-block, right? Uh, but, you know, do you basically, you know, I think there's a little bit of a kind of a unique differentiator here, right? Because you have kind of the finality of transactions, but you also have kind of the actual, you know, blocks, you know, time per block per se, um, and what can actually happen within each block itself. So, you know, it is actually tracking um, everything actually to the core, you know, millisecond in terms of, you know, hey, I actually want to, you know, place this bid. I want to do this. I want to um, have a competitive mint, et cetera. I was more kind of referencing the point of, hey, if we're getting to the point of kind of ultra high frequency where, you know, basically we want to obfuscate the risk of, you know, front running a, a $2 billion kind of, you know, um, trade and we need to leverage some sort of dark pool, right? Um, you know, 
Pasto is not necessarily that platform, right? But we're not trying to get to the point where we have 10,000 transactions per second um, that are just happening on the network at all points in time. But yeah, in this case of NFTs, you know, speed is, is not an issue whatsoever on Pastel. Thanks for clearing that up. So you guys have been operating in stealth mode for basically your whole existence, but now you are out in the public. What do we have to look forward to from Pastel? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what's super exciting, what's going on over time down the road, we basically have, you know, a handful of different partnerships of uh, developments in the works, right? In terms of, you know, whether that's layer one marketplaces, whether that's layer two uh, or layer one blockchains, layer two marketplaces, existing commercial enterprises that are building, launching, deploying themselves directly on top of Pastel. Um, I'd be excited to basically, you know, I'm super excited to uh, start to announce those and, and to kind of see that happen over the next couple of months. Um, and then we have significant updates in terms of you know, our actual core technology that we're um, actually building, upgrades to our protocols, upgrades to certain mechanisms, you know, within Pastel itself, and then the, the full-fledged release and launch of our own marketplace. Awesome. Make sure you guys go check out Pastel and Anthony on Twitter. Connect with them to stay up to date. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, Anthony. Really great conversation. Hope to have you back again in the future. Awesome. Sounds good. Aye, aye. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. See ya. All right. So we are just about out of time, but we uh, I'm circling back to ICP. I say it could be a really big, really successful project, uh, but check out their vesting schedule uh, so you don't get rugged by the developers um, selling off all of their initial shares. That's what happened earlier this year. So maybe it's over, maybe not. Definitely uh, promising, but high risk, I'd say. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'll give you my super short take on that too. I was pretty hyped when it released. I looked through their docs and whatnot. It seems super promising. They have a really impressive and really large team behind the coin. Um, but like Logan said, a lot of those coins were vested. They got them for like $2 back like four or five years ago at this point. It's been in development for a really long time. And a lot of those people probably did want to take profits once it went public. Uh, so that's what they did, right? And, and that pushed down the price a lot. And now it's right around 40 to $50 and it hasn't been performing too well. I still think it is a solid project, but it'll be interesting to see where the price goes and how much, you know, these private investors still own. And like if they could actually keep pushing this price down uh, or, you know, are retail traders really going to be so hyped to keep buying this up and, you know, drive the price back up to close to a thousand dollars like it was at earlier this year, which yeah, I'm not too crazy. sure about. But I, I still think it's a solid for twenty eight hundred dollars. Look at this. Sheesh. Yeah, that must have been right when they launched it. Yeah. That is insane. And it's just been, I mean, this looks like a rug, but they have a lot of good, uh, a lot of good stuff going on on their, on their website, if it's to be believed. So um, definitely some potential. Thanks for the two bucks. All right, Ryan, that is all we have time for today. Uh, so everyone out there, hope you have a great weekend, have a happy Halloween and make sure to stay safe. Crypto markets this hot. It's dangerous. It's dangerous out there. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, 
It doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.